Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pixelist Podcast, the podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. Today, we're talking a little Worlds Beyond number, The Wizard, The Witch, and The Wild One, episode 12. And whew, what an episode this was, man. I am yeah. really excited to dive straight into this. And uh, we are fighting a little bit against time tonight, so we're going to just speed run through the announcements. Critical Role, uh, episode 68 discussion coming soon. Um, we've been putting out a lot of stuff, uh, highlight videos and all that. So we appreciate you guys showing that some love and, uh, anything else? No, I think that's it. All right. <laughs> well, yeah, <clears throat> we're going to jump right into it then. Um, again, super excited to talk about this episode, but first we are going to do our recap, which we always do. And we cut that out, host it separately on YouTube. So if you find yourself just on that recap and want to hear our full thoughts on the episode, it'll be linked in the description below. Uh, but without further ado, if you would like to start us off, my friend. Yeah, so the episode opens up with the party standing before this speaking mirror with steel on the other side, seemingly about to tear Suvi a new one. And they essentially bring out this device, like this orb pedestal on a pedestal kind of thing. And steel basically tells them, hey, I want you guys to put your hands on the orb. Um Ame is immediately extremely skittish to it and is kind of like, I'm not doing that. Uh, to which Steel's like, well, great, your other option's prison, you know, if that's what you'd prefer to do. Um, they chat a little bit about it, and then finally it's kind of like, this is really the best option we have, and Steel informs them, I'm basically going to go into your mind and have a conversation with each one of you as to what's really going on here. Now, this episode's called Prisoner's Dilemma because of the prisoner's dilemma of basically how forthcoming are you or do you all kind of unspokenly lie together? Um, and this conversation that follows is actually fairly intense. Um, shout out to Taylor Moore. There are some really intense moments. Um, Steel is going to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation in the mind of Ame, Suvi, and Ursulan. And there are some high points that come out of this. Um, Steel is immediately very, uh, I would say, kind and welcoming to Ame and exchanges um, her her regards for Grandmother Ren having passed away and basically says, you know, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And pretty much asks, you know, like, what, what's been going on? Like, what's been happening here? Uh, meanwhile, with Ursulan... Uh, she's really asking the nature of how Ursulan came to be with the party. Now, the whole prisoner's dilemma piece, how that comes into play, is Ame reveals to Steel that Ursulan is a spirit. Um, Steel then also, in talking with Ursulan, Ursulan admits that he is, in fact, a spirit. Well, then in speaking to Suvi, um, Steel asks about the nature of Ursulan. And... Suvi basically is forthcoming and says, yeah, he is a spirit. And Brennan has this cool um, sort of like tension cutting moment of you realize in this moment that this was a, a very important test of honesty for Suvi. And she fortunately passed by um, being direct and honest about it. Now, from this moment on, it seems like um, the intensity of the moment is kind of subsiding. It definitely feels like Steel is on their side. Um, Steel mentions that, um, you know, hey, I have a lot to clean up because of you guys, but I'm not going to tell anyone here that Ursulan is a spirit. 
and additionally, um, really kind of catches up on like other extraneous details, like um, tell me about the sword. Um, how did Ursulon get it? Uh, but there is a very interesting point of detail here. Um, they talk about the main reason why Steele's orders were ignored was because they needed to figure out how to basically break this curse, how to basically get the sword to break the curse. And Steele basically says like, hey, this is priority number one. In fact, it's so much priority number one that if you guys were to break this curse, then the curse would be destroyed forever and we would never know who placed it on you. So I'd like to invite each of you to join me at the Citadel where we can study the curse and when you break it, try to capture... I guess look at the data code of its origin. Who knows magic in this world? And is like we we would like to see to do it together so that we can kind of figure out who put this on you and for what purpose. Uh, again, Ame is very suspicious. In fact, she flatly says no immediately. Uh, to which Steel says, um, I think Ame says Ame says something like, "Well, you know, witches aren't welcome there." And Steel says, "Oh well, Grandmother Rin came several times," uh, which sort of stuns Ame. Ame's like, well, she never mentioned that. And Steel's like, oh, yeah. Uh, Grandmother Ren's come many times. I mean, it's your choice, but I'm definitely making Steel, by the way, sound more suspicious than I mean to. Um, this is all fairly innocuous. I think just Will and I have kind of a tinfoil hat on about Steel, uh, which I guess we'll talk about in the episode. But having said this conversation, Ame then kind of relents and says, well, all right, well, I'll think about it. Um, and then essentially offers the same thing to Ursulon and then also to Suvi as well. In fact, lets Suvi know that because she is the Archmage Apprentice, there will be, I think, even like a court-martial hearing of some kind uh, that she'll need to come be present at the Citadel for. Um, the uh, sort of mind vision device ends. Um, Steel reminds them to kind of keep things locked down. Uh, Steel does inform Ame that as soon as she gets there, she is immediately priority number one, going to free Naram and arrest Moro uh, for his crimes against the spirits. And then also we find out that Suvi is, um, despite being best friends with Ursulon, has some fairly harsh feelings towards spirits in general, like many of the wizards in the of the Citadel. And Steel sort of um, presses against that a little bit and talks about how this was sort of the this was their world that we sort of built around uh, that humans sort of um, uh, took took the origins of the spirit world to sort of design and create this world. And there is some sort of like owed respect there. Uh, despite all of this, um, the party's given the order to just lay low again and. Um, Surely that's it. Nothing happens after that. Surely they wait. Um, Will, you want to take the second half? Yeah. And uh, Steel did let it be known that, like, she was going to free Naram and, like, set this right. all right. And um, right. so everyone's kind of like, okay. And they they are heading back to the Chantry. And Ursulon, you know, knowing that things are going to be set right tomorrow, um, you know, goes to his room. But he sees the coral ring on the table that he had left there. <clears throat> and the ring makes this excitement for potentially going to the Citadel and getting trained, you know, by the, the warriors there. Uh, it all just washes away because he sours and remembers that, uh, remembers Naram and that they have to wait a whole day to do anything about it. So he just angrily draws wave breaker and swings on the ring. 
<clears throat> and Brendan has this nice line about the sword being for most of his life, this gift from Suvi. It wasn't something he chose. Um, he and his friends found it and they just decided it should be his. But in this moment, this is his sword and it belongs to him. And uh, Brendan actually has him make a dexterity save uh, for swinging. Uh, and he hits an 18 and he describes the ring just sundering and it, you know, scattering into a million pieces and also blood kind of coming out and scattering as he does this. And um, it's kind of pulsing this blood as if there was still life force in it. And uh, Brennan describes uh, Ursuline seeing like this eye within the blood and it's Naram's eye. And Ursuline hears this voice and it says, little cub, I'm glad to see you have grown. <clears throat> and Ursuline somehow recognizes this voice. Uh, and so he goes and tries to gather as much of this scattered blood as he possibly could um, that has gone across the room. And he's also breaking more things in the room. Uh, and Brennan actually has him makes a constitution save for each thing he decides to break. <laughs> and the very first thing, the bed, he hits a natural one. Um, <laughs> so it's described as like these cuts on Ursuline's arm start like the blood from uh, Naram's blood, like goes into his open wounds and he starts having a seizure essentially. And as he does, he kind of enters this vision. And in this vision, he is barely a cub. <clears throat> uh, his the, his father, the great bear, is standing atop a mighty waterfall. And Ursuline actually falls into the waterfall and gets swept away into the sea. However, he sees a beautiful man with a long spear who approaches him, who is very friendly. And he says, like, oh, little lost cub, hold on. And mm -hmm. uh, basically, like, this mist surrounds Ursuline that allows him to breathe underwater and Naram basically like picks him up in the palm of his hand and ultimately returns him to his father. Um, interesting kind of scene here that we might talk more about, but <clears throat> uh, Ursuline's father is like, oh, did, was he, did you save him? Like it, was he weak? Right. And uh, Naram's like, no, no, of course not. I was worried for my fish um, here. Like I brought your son back to you and he tells Ursuline, uh, I hope I see you again one day. It's after this that Ursuline awakes to Ame checking on him, and he tells her all about the vision. And Ursuline's like, I have known his kindness. Like, I'm going to free him right now. And <clears throat> Ursuline basically sprints to the armory, and Ame's like, wait, what the heck? And she follows him. Um, there's no one in the armory, thankfully. He grabs another cool ring and tries to put it on, but again, constitution save, and he fails. So his body is rejecting the ring, so he throws it off. Um, and he's like, we have to free him right now. He deserves to be freed. I'm going. And Ame notices that there's something kind of weird about his fur, uh, but more on that in a second. So Ursuline sprints out of the armory and is headed toward the docks. Ame goes after him and she calls for the fox like, hey, like, come on, we're going. Um, meanwhile, we cut back to Suvi's room and Moro has come to her door, sucking up like he always does, being like, hey, where'd you go off to today? And Suvi's like, not tonight. Uh, she says, Steel will be here tomorrow. Don't bother me. <clears throat> Back to Ursuline and Ame. Ame screams for Suvi as she's just like running down the street. She's just saying, Suvi! So Suvi can hear this and she goes out to her window and can see her friend sprinting toward the water. Um, but Suvi has this moment, you know, after getting ridiculed uh, by Steel and she's like, I can't keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. So instead right. of following her friends, she goes down to their rooms to see if she can kind of piece together what may be going. 
uh, right. going on and she can see all the destruction in Ursulan's room. And so she decides to spend the night mending the bed and mending everything he broke um, and will not join her friends. Cut back to them though. Um, Ursulan sprints down the dock, dives in the water. He's, he's far ahead of Ame. Um, so as she's catching up, she's like, well, what do I do? And she tries to get in a nearby rowboat. But, uh, as she does, there's like an Imperial ship going by and they're like, Hey, what are you doing? Like we could yeah. clearly see you stealing <laughs> the ship. And, yeah. uh, she tries to talk her way out of it, but like does not get anywhere. Yeah. So ultimately she cannot follow Ursulan and he is alone. Um, and uh, as he's swimming to the derricks, swimming to Naram, um, he decides, like, I'm not going to come up for air. Like, I'm just going straight down to it. And uh, Brennan has to make a con save, 14, and he sucks in water. Like, he can't hold his breath any longer. But he comes to realize that it feels like air to him. The magic of the ring that he destroyed and Naram's blood that entered his system is kind of giving him the same boon that the coral ring would have so he can breathe underwater. Um, because the magic was Naram's all along. So he swims and he finally makes his way to the base of this derrick. And he happens to see a fish swim in between the plane of like the derrick and it just gets sliced in half immediately. Uh, and he realizes there's these eyes at the different points of the derrick that are serving as kind of like an invisible force field. Um, but he does realize that the eye has to see in order to enact. It's not based on movement. It's based on sight. Um, so Ursulan is like, what do I do here? What would Suvi do in this moment? And then he realizes I can go invisible and I'm going to have to try it. So he does just that and successfully crosses through the barrier, swims down to Naram and tells him like, I'm going to make this right. And he is just surrounded by blood here because Naram is like constantly bleeding from this wound beneath him. Um, <clears throat> he introduces himself to Naram as Ursulan and says, like, hey, they're using your blood up there. And Naram's like, they only think they do, but my blood went out into the world and it has brought me you. Like, my blood is protecting me and they don't even realize, like, what they've gotten into. Um, but he also realizes in this moment that he is not so much trapped. Uh, Naram could free himself at any moment, but doing so would cause such a tidal wave that Port Talon would be destroyed. Um, and he also reveals that he's being pinned down by his own spear. Um, <clears throat> that's how they've captured him here. Um, but he tells Ursulan, perhaps if you can strike true with Wavebreaker, we can have the best of both worlds. I can be freed and we can spare Port Talon. So can you find it in yourself to feel your breath and strike true? And so Ursulan unsheaths Wavebreaker. And uh, there's this great line that says, are you fast enough to hold the part of you that is eternal? Um, and he will walk this path of danger and stand for the brighter tomorrow. He brings the sword high above his head and he accepts that this is the world, uh, that this is a world where that is not upheld. But that doesn't mean you are scared and step aside because to have honor is to meet it head on. And so he swings down the sword and Brennan, I know I'm getting long-winded, but this is also good. Uh, Brennan, <laughs> Brennan explains that in a story governed by dice rolls, I can say that this role will change the fate of this campaign. Whether this succeeds or fails can completely alter all of the events to come. You're making a straight attack roll, but should you choose, you can make it with advantage, with the trade-off being that you might end up tr being trapped here in Naram's place. Uh, Lou accepts that trade 
and rolls with advantage. And he gets an 18 and a 23. And Brennan says, Knights left this world long ago, but a knight is someone who chooses danger for themselves over danger for another. If you do that, are knights truly gone? The sword comes down, and that's where the episode ends. <laughs> Left on this massive cliffhanger. Oh, but a fantastic episode. Episode 12 of The Wizard, the Witch, and the Wild One. Uh, Prisoner's Dilemma. Again, if you're just on the recap and want to hear our full thoughts, it will be linked in the description below. Oh, but we my got, guy, we got a lot to talk about. We do, we do. <laughs> what a fantastic episode! Just first and foremost. Yeah, I think this was my favorite episode. This was the Britton Lee Mulligan that I fell in love with with Calamity, where I was in awe of his way, his his quickness to create a compelling, inspiring moment. I mean, the, you mentioned the line about the knights, and then also when he, you didn't mention the second half of it, but when he talked about like, are you, the, the vastness of you, but then he says something like, maybe you don't get to be vast without being singular or something. Oh yeah. It was some line like that. That was just like, wow. He's so poetic. Was, oh yeah. He's in, he is insane. Um, I literally was in a parking lot ready to go into a meeting and was in the last like 10 minutes and I just like went on through the meeting. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I was like, I have to finish this. They have to wait. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, it was incredible. I mean, it really was. Yeah. And while we're, while we're giving out the accolades, I got to give it to Lou too, man. Th those were yes. such powerful choices and also powerful role play. Uh, that whole final segment that was essentially just him. Um, yeah. Lou was amazing freaking champion um but yeah i don't even i don't really even know where to begin i guess maybe the end because we're kind of already talking about it unless you don't yeah. unless you prefer to cut it back no yeah no end is good i mean we're already here um i feel like i could easily for half an hour just talk about that's what's that chris farley like remember that moment let's <laughs> remember that <laughs> that was awesome man yeah. like i feel like I was just so captivated by the ending, um, the heaviness, like the weightiness of Brennan saying uh, this role will dictate the future of this campaign. Yeah. Like I was like, bro, this is wild. Um, but yeah, I mean, the attack I assume has struck true. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, one piece on what you were just saying, uh, before I go to the attack was, uh, in the fireside chat, Brennan spoke about like that, the heaviness of that role and the impact it could have. Um, and just how he was excited to be in a place where that's a thing, because this is a long form campaign and on, you know, dimension 20 is usually very short. Um, so he mentioned right. like just the excitement he had to be able to have one of these moments because, they don't know where this story is going. The end is not in sight. It's not set. You know, it's not a set yeah. destination. Um, and something else he said, not regarding the fireside chat, but just in general, uh, I don't know if it was like maybe the DM, I think it was the DM discussion between him, Abria and Matt Mercer. Yeah. Um, but he talked about um, jealous isn't the right word. Just how much he loved that Matt had an opportunity to world build over like a long form campaign. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I could definitely feel that energy in this episode. I mean, this was a very weighty episode with some very poetic lines. Um, And I think it was really cool that it got to be uh, Lou's moment and Lou's alone. Not that it would would have been an issue if if it was anyone else's, but I think we've talked about this over a number of episodes, how it's really special when someone's willing to gives another player some space and like Suvi, for example, deciding to mend the furniture, um, which uh, Brennan had a great line about that too. Like the way he described her mending was really poetic, but I, I can't remember it, unfortunately, but, um, and I, not that, and I don't even think Brennan was forcing that either. I think Brennan, like with Ame, I think she very much could have joined Lou. And I think she also would have, um, let him have that moment, so to speak. Um, but you know, like we said, the, the story of the dice rolls, I mean, the dice didn't let that play out that way. So anyway. Yeah. I, um, I totally agree that they've got a lot of trust at that table and will allow each other to kind of roll solo. I don't mean literally, but it was literally yeah. in this case. Um, so yeah, like not only were, were lose choices, I thought so cool and compelling and, make perfect sense you know like he i loved just the turn of like you know he got so excited that he might go get get trained by a citadel warrior but then coming back and seeing that ring and uh for, for those that don't remember um leading up to to the last few episodes ursulon had tried to break that ring and failed um and then you know the whole orima excursion happened so coming back i just you know i feel like one he remembered naram and two remembered his failure and was like, what am I doing? You know, like I can't like, and I'm putting words in his mouth now, but like what honorable person would just sit and wait a full day while he knows like somebody's being tortured. Um, mm, so I, I yeah. just, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I like that you said that too. Cause I, I very much was like, but Lou steel is coming in a day. Yeah. And I, I love how you tied it back to honor of, and not that, even so much like he was thinking like, Oh, it's someone else's problem though. That's ironically what he thought originally, but I, I love that you tied it into honor of like, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the right thing to do. Why would I wait for someone else to, I, I just, I love how you, how you phrase that. Yeah. And I just, I thought it was like a really compelling storyline. Like not that I don't think that that's in their minds necessarily when they're making these choices. Um, but yeah, it was so easy to say like, oh, the first half was such a sigh of relief. Steel is on our side. This is all yeah. going to be resolved tomorrow. Let's just go get some rest. And no, like that would have been really easy. But instead, Lou was like, like, no, like, yeah, this and is how my character would feel. Um, we, need to t- we need to put a pin in Steel just as a reminder to come back to that in a second. Yeah, but yeah. I definitely want to go talk about the whole first half. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I just, I loved it. I thought it was a courageous choice and an amazing character choice. And um, the, just the, the stones to do it. I mean, I guess Lou, Lou didn't know that that was going to culminate in this role that could affect the entire future of the campaign. Like he couldn't have known right. that, but he, while, while not knowing that he clearly knew that this was a crazy thing to do by himself. Like he doesn't yeah. even know how Wavebreaker works necessarily. Like, it might not even be, even though he has it, it might not even be like a feasible thing for a singular player to do, but he still just, you know, went with it. Yeah. And was this the, was this two fireside chats ago or three when Ame went out on her own 
is I feel like to get, get to Orima, I feel like this has come up before this conversation of um, like DM perspective where it's like, okay, Lou Ursulon is leaving to do this thing by himself. And there are many players or excuse me, DMs whose mentality is like, you need to, you need to punish the player, right? Like you need to inform them like, Hey, this is a party game, you know, what have you. So I feel like this, I feel like this was the fireside chat and you can help me if I'm misplacing this, but Brennan had this amazing line about risk-taking and how essentially, and I'm going to, I'm going to add some words to more than what he just said, just from what I implied of it. Um, how there is this interesting balance between risk taking where you inform the player of like sort of the constraints of what they're capable of doing. Like a, a player wants to like become king, like take the crown from the king. It's like, okay, how do I inform you as to like the boundaries here? Mm-hmm. That plus rewarding a player for risk taking and being courageous, like you said. And I think the line Brennan said was, I think it regarding Ame was if you always punish players for their risk risk taking then they'll they'll forever play it safe and you'll wonder why is the story not moving forward at all right and coincidentally enough we had this incredible story moment because brennan allowed lou to take this amazing risk and and rewarded him for it so i i I just yeah there's a great insight there on dming i feel like a hundred percent and I think that, and I know we're just like straight up goozing for like 20 straight minutes here, but I think Good. it just speaks to obviously Brennan's caliber as a DM, yeah. but also lose. Cause I mean, yeah. there's obviously nuance to the situation of like having a player that's going to do something by themselves. Uh, and I think right. it just goes back to trust at the table. Like, cause you know, it could very easily be like, well, I'm going to go do this and being like abstinent and like detracting from everyone else's enjoyment. But, um, like I said, trust at the table. They all they all know what they're doing, and they're all so good at it that uh, this is like really shining examples of how to like do that correctly. Yeah. Um, right. So totally with you, and yeah, I love that callback to what Brennan said. Uh, I think you're right that it was like two fireside chats ago. Um, and we really just need to like <clears throat> make a video like collecting all of these like gems that uh that they I guess Brennan, Matt, everybody, and just make like a golden yeah. hour of dm advice um yeah but that, that's neither here nor there um <clears throat> on the roll so uh to, to take us back there he rolled really well i think it was an 18 and a 23 or something like that um i have it written down i'll just look um and it was uh it wasn't a double roll so the 20 it was 23 so 23 because it was with advantage pretty high like you would think success but I will say that like this is like we've just been talking about like a kind of monumental task. So I don't think it's out of the ordinary to imagine the DC could have been 25, could have been 30. Um, and we, we do know that there was a caveat of you get this advantage, but you might get stuck. So maybe I think it's pretty safe to say that whatever he did will free Naram, but I'm not convinced that that's going to come without consequence. I think at level one, he had a plus five, I think. I think he had his proficiency bonus, and then uh, the sword, had Waybreaker, had a plus three. So for a DC 25, you would need a nat 20. 
which I mean, it is a monumental task. So I, I guess it, I guess it depends on Brennan's thinking there. I know personally speaking as a DM, I would have a hard, for me, it'd be a hard sell to put my player up against a decision like this with, with only a nat 20 being, being a success. Having said that, I actually did do that with a player now that I'm saying I would never do it. And they freaking rolled a nat 20. And wow. I was like, okay, well, all right, let me figure <laughs> out what happens now. Cause I said, there was no way this was going to work. And how dare you? And I told him outright, I said, it would have to be a nat 20 for this to work. And he was like, natural 20. And like, Boom. it's the only time at the table, like everyone screamed. <laughs> So anyway, Gotta love but yeah, moments, I, I, I see, I see what you're saying. I, I think my money is like 80, 20. He's good. Um, but I could definitely, I could definitely see your perspective for sure. Well, yeah. And, and to be, just to be clear, I do think it was a success, but I think that it could be a conditional success and not right. that, not that that means, I mean, we, it's not like Brennan explicitly outlined what he meant by like, you might take Naram's place. Uh, Cause I don't see, especially on a high roll like that. I don't see Ursulon being like literally stuck. Like, I, I don't know how the mechanics of it would work. Like he's now impaled by the spear somehow and he drowns or something. Um, like I don't see Ursulon dying in this immediate situation because he didn't hit whatever perfect DC for like a conditionless success would have been. Um, <clears throat> and I am rambling, but my point is I feel like there could be some caveat to, to what happens here. Yeah. And it's not just Naram's freed. You guys both swim away. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't want to belabor this point too much, but they are level one. Like you said, this is like a great spirit. So you would think like, it's going to be a pretty difficult thing for like a level one character to do this by themselves, especially considering like, the way it was going to happen was steel was going to come in a presumably very high level character who probably would have done it if she was being honest. We'll get to that in a minute via diplomacy. But if not, then, you know, I'm a, who knows what level she is, but I'm assuming she's way stronger than the party. So if there was this hypothetical like DC, I would imagine it was more akin to somebody steals level than a level one. Yeah. Now this is all just yeah. like, hypothetical and obviously your job as a dm is to like you know adjust and move things and you know when brennan realized it was just ursulon by himself you know perhaps whatever the dc was in this hypothetical was moved down um very long-winded way to say that i i do think it will free naram but i'm still kind of nervous for what yeah. could happen here yeah unfortunately we only have a couple of days to wait waiting for this episode by the way was a very painful thing, but it was definitely a payoff for how good it was. Yeah, I was, I, I'm glad you said that. Cause I was going to bring that up to worth the wait, uh, which we, we say this almost every episode, but shout out Taylor Moore because, uh, I mean, I don't know what caused the delay necessarily, but I'm pretty sure it was because of production. He, yeah. I think he tweeted that it wasn't like exporting correctly or something, which, you know, you and I have had those woes with our videos where it's yeah. just like, give me a freaking break, dude. Yeah. It just like for no reason, it just stops, you know? So I think he tweeted something like that, but, <clears throat> but yeah, the music, um, everything was so like on point, you know, we got the callback yeah. to Ursulon's prelude music, like yes. the, the, the great bear yes. and the dance. Um, so good. Oh, I was going to say the music, the ending, the final, like 15 minutes were just pristine. Perfect. Yeah. The mu I noticed the music during the inter uh, Steel's interrogation 
where I was like, dude, I feel scared. Like this yeah. is extremely intense. And the music like just was perfect for those scenes too. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. And uh, just while we're talking about it, the, and it wasn't the, the part I just referenced with the great bear, but um, there was this scene where Ursulon is trying to decide what to do with the, the like laser defenses. Um, yeah. And he describes himself going invisible and it was such like a vivid description. Uh, I, I guess it was Brennan that was maybe doing it at the time. They're talking about like how it's like it started yes. at his fingers. Um, the music that was in that scene was so like so visceral and so good as well. Like just him becoming one with the sea in the moment was kind of like. We have Brennan come do all of our games <laughs> for us. You think he's up for that? I mean. I bet so. He seems just... not very busy. I just want him to tell me what to say. <laughs> just sit by me. <laughs> just so. Just narrate my life as I yeah. go about my day. Make me feel important. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah. Shout um, out. Shout out Taylor. Uh, it was worth the wait. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I liked another cool, just very brief deep detail without getting too into the weeds on it. But I just like we talked about like trust at the table. Um, Brennan like really being thoughtful about his players. He said a few times, Ursulon, Ursulon has quest fever. And um, I had never heard this before, but knew exactly what it meant. Um, and we kind of already said it like, already, you know, but just again, like Ursulon is, he's set on this. Um, how can we do this together? Like moving forward for the rest of this scene, uh, as opposed to like, oh, now's not the right time. Or I, you know, I envision you guys getting to Naram in three episodes. So Sorry, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. But again, shout out to Brennan for that. 100%. And uh, one one last thing, not uh, you continue if you have, obviously, but one last thing for me that I wanted to say on this was, you know, we've shouted out Brennan, we've shouted out Lou. Um, I also want to shout out Abria's, I thought, courageous choice to not follow. Um, yeah. Because especially was- at that point. Sorry. sorry, go ahead. No, oh. I was just saying it was equally beautiful. It was all I yeah. was adding. Yeah, that's basically all I was going to say as well, because especially at the point where she made that decision, it was Ame and Ursulon. So like it wasn't like, oh, this is like an Ursulon only moment because that wasn't the case yet. Um, So I I just I applauded that. And again, it also made perfect sense with her character. Like I was glad that she didn't go because I was like, like, don't do this again. Like you're going to get in so much trouble. And um, so, yeah, bravo, Abria. And I thought it was poignant you know her whole little mm. vignette of going and mending um so I, I i love that and i thought it showed a lot of character growth um yeah but anything else yeah. on the on the i guess ending segment no i don't think so all right well let's <clears throat> cut it back to the prisoner's dilemma which this was just such a cool like i love like thought experiments and philosophy and the prisoner's dilemma is is that wheelhouse exactly and uh so cool to bring it like in D with such a D flair with this telepathic yeah. orb um yeah so cool like i want to steal yeah. that idea and put my players in like a like a yeah. hot water which <clears throat> i all of them are, are so good at this that i wouldn't ever think of them to like metagame the situation but i was just like you know we're like you're talking to them all at the same time, but obviously in D and D you're all in a room and you have to yeah. do one at a time. Like if I ever did it, I wonder if I would like make the other players leave the room and like one by one come in. 
Um, I don't think they did that here. Um, but no, I, I there just, were some moments. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Interrupt you. <clears throat> no, I was, I was basically done. But. I was just saying there were a couple of moments where like a question was asked and either to Ursulon or Ame and they joked about like looking at Abria and Bria being like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're so right. I, I think that added to some of the intensity of the moment for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, definitely it was a very intriguing conversation, especially it's interesting. Cause I think people who are team who haven't thought about steel in any way other than just like, yeah, like, you know, Suvi's kind of unspoken guardian, you know, they're probably like, what's the big deal. But for what you and I talked about, I was, I was kind of just nervous in general. Um, every episode I get more and more suspicious of steel, unfortunately, <laughs> which, you know, I don't know. I have a, an NPC in one of my campaigns where the players, like no matter what happens, they're always suspicious of this one character. Even if I like do the most generous thing, they're just like, he's gotta be evil. <laughs> Who would do that? So I don't know. I don't know if Brennan feels that way or if we're like actually onto something, but yeah, I, I didn't know where the conversation was going to go. Um, I thought it was interesting that they outed uh, Ursulon. Um, and then I'm very interested on this whole come to the Citadel direction, too. Yeah, me too. I <clears throat> So on Steel, she very good guy Steel. Like, I, and I, <clears throat> I kind of didn't. Too good guy Steel. You think so? way I, that's it's she's too nice she's like you you well here's you know i just she I just was don't know. she was nice to ame pretty much Very from nice. the jump because you yeah. know it was like like i know you're kind of just in the in the crossfire of this because ame was like pretty truthful and forthcoming um but i feel like she was pretty stern with suvi until that like little test that she gave her with the, the ursalong yeah. question um, I, I would say she was parental, but not like mean. Yeah. Like, you know, like, you know, to be honest, why'd you do this? Um, yeah. That, that's, that's the vibe I got, which I mean, makes sense because she basically is Suvi's parental figure yeah. in her life. Right. Um, and I'm sure we'll dive deeper into this, but our, our suspicion of steel, if we can call it that is just that there's like more, more that we don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't think either of us think she's like the big bad or anything, but just that, you know, she maybe hasn't been fully honest and there's, there's more there than we are aware of. But in any case, I do think she cares for Suvi. Like, I don't think that's sure. Like I, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's like falsified. So <clears throat> this whole interaction made a lot of sense to me. I loved it. I thought her characterization was very parental, which makes sense. Um, all that being said, though, is uh, I kind of am with you that it, it was too, too good, like too much of a good guy, which I'm not saying that's like a mischaracterization. It's just feeding my suspicions because like it was like the best possible outcome. Like not only are they going to get away out of this mess that they're in currently, but also she just so happens to be like, oh, I'm free in Naram tomorrow. Like we're going to make that all right. Um which, Which not, even, sorry, go ahead. No, go no, ahead. I, I, I need you to cut me off because I just keep going. But uh, just, I, and do you, think, I, I, do you think she was actually going to do that? That's what I was going to ask you because, like, I think it's, I think it's possible for her to truly feel that way. 
I think that like, that possibility exists. Um, but <clears throat> okay, here's what I wonder. Similar to how we saw Suvi's kind of um, dichotomies of reactions to Naram, the first one being like, what did you do? Like horrified. And then like five minutes later, after Moro was talking about like the implications and what this could mean for the Citadel, she was like kind of on board. That's what I wonder. What would have Steele's reaction been? Because even if she was earnest in the moment during these conversations of like, oh, I'm totally going to set that right. Tomorrow, when she arrives and actually talks to Moro and maybe can, like, understand more of what's going on, could she have flipped the script? Um, right. I don't know. And Suvi, I wrote this down, made an interesting comment about, like, I know how we treat spirits at the Citadel. Something to that effect. Um, which, you know, we do know that they are kind of ends justify the means, at least from what we've been shown so far. So I don't know, man. I, I do feel like she obviously had a relationship with Grandmother Wren to some extent, which would, you know, means she probably does understand spirits and maybe honor them more than the average Citadel wizard might. Uh, unless that's all just like a long part of her, you know, con as well. But I, I guess I don't know, really know where I'm landing on the fence here. I think I think either makes sense and are possible. I'm still suspicious though. She's made statements to build trust that the party has no real way of verifying, you know, to Ame. Oh, grandmother in came a bunch of times. Well, that, I mean, it's literally just her word versus Ame's memory, you know, double, doubled by the fact that Ame knows that she, there are things that she no longer remembers because of this curse. Right. Um, So no way to fact check it. And then this thing about coming to free Naram, yeah, I mean, we know when Suvi first was exposed to Naram, there was this whole dialogue on, you know, this is, though a great spirit isn't the norm, that they use spirits to to their own ends. And if Steele's like the highest ranking person, uh, surely at some point she's been complicit in something like that. I would assume, I don't know, um, not that she is actually the highest ranking, but fairly important person um so yeah i don't know i don't know if she would have gone for the intention of of um freeing naram and then it would have flipped when she saw the power of it um i actually wonder if she just said that to like you know really went over ame and i don't know how brennan would have played it out but I don't know something about her just coming in and arresting Moro. I, it felt too good to be true, honestly. Yeah. So yeah, I, don't <clears throat> I at this, and I know I'm kind of like thinking on a meta level. I think I tend to believe Steel in this moment, not to, but maybe she has ulterior motives for it. You know, maybe that's not truly what she thinks, well, but I just. I mean, what's, Again, up with the, what's up with the come to the citadel and let's not free the curse until you until we can be there yeah i, I mean, am that's like that's like a, an investigator being like well I, I don't show them the evidence till i'm in the room this is like this is like basic for like the person who's in on it being like well i want to be there when the, when the evidence is shown so that they can like manipulate it in some way and we've we've asked we've had the conversation you and I on did Steele put the curse on 
I'm not saying necessarily she did, but was she involved in some way? Maybe. Is it because she's evil? Maybe not. Maybe it's because she was for the greater good. It's better if you don't know kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have my suspicions. Like, for sure. And I, I do want to talk about the Citadel part of it. Um, by the way, we're coming up to the end of our, um, our okay. chat, by the way. So. Um, I just... On a meta level, I don't see... Let's just assume Steel is, again, I don't want to say evil, but there like the, there is deceptiveness with Steel. Let's just say that's true. I don't see that shoe getting dropped this early in the campaign. So for that reason, I'm, I'm inclined to more believe her in this instance. And I do think like we mentioned that that parental affection and love for Suvi is real, no matter what the case is. So for those reasons, I can kind of believe that she was being authentic and, and genuine. But like, like I mentioned, maybe when she got here and spoke tomorrow, like who knows if she could have like moved the needle a little bit. Um, but them, and it's kind of sucks that we'll never get to know now because Ursulon went and, you know, took matters right. into his own hands. Uh, one, I'm interested to see how she reacts to this. I mean, obviously, Suvi didn't go, so her vitriol won't be directed at Suvi, but like, there's definitely still going to be, you know, hitting the fan with what's going on here. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but them going to the Citadel, I, I think is definitely kind of a couple things. One, I think, and I think we talked about this last time. Steel's like priority is going to be regardless of the situation. Like Suvi, you're come home. Like you're getting into trouble. You weren't supposed to be gone this long anyway. Like it was always going to be Suvi and I are going back to the Citadel. So I, I do think that it could be, you know, what, you know, how about your friends come too? And obviously there's a, a, uh, a, yeah. pers- a, a motive to get this information on whatever curse is on Ame. Um, I think, even if she's not involved with it, they, like that's power that the Citadel could utilize. Um, and then Ursulon just, you know, getting his training. I think that was just, he's the friend too. This is how we can entice him to come as well. Um, but what do you, th- do you think, I mean, obviously we have this whole can of worms with the Naram situation that is throwing a wrench into things, but do you see all of them going to the Citadel after this? I want to say Yes from just like basic DMing, but not knowing the story that Brennan wants to tell. I don't mean that in a railroady way, but like the boundaries of like what he wants to see happen. I, I could definitely see both situations happening. My gut tells me they'll all go together. I could see something different happening where someone doesn't go. And Brennan has sort of a unique flair on that decision in some way. Okay, that would be interesting. I wasn't even considering that as a possibility. I just assumed either all would go or all wouldn't. But that would be really interesting if there was... I have a like hard a, time imagining Suvi not going to the Citadel because of the because of what you just stated. Yeah, I, I do too. Archmage, Apprentice, <clears throat> I mean... I do too. It would have to be something kind of crazy that if she didn't... Um, right. oh, I just... Uh, oh, uh, from the Fireside chat, what I wanted to mention was that they brought up... Um, they, they they teased a bunch of cool things are coming at the end of this month, but wouldn't say what. Uh, but Brennan also said that this arc is is about to end. This first arc of the campaign ends with episode 14. What so, does that mean? So two more, which I'm, ass- I'm assuming it's like the Naram Port Talon, like the beginning of the campaign through the Naram Port Talon arc is my assumption. Um, yeah. 
So just very interesting to think about. And wow. what what might arc two be? Could it be the Citadel yeah. arc? Or maybe it's breaking the curse. Maybe that would be like the end of yeah. the first arc. Jeez. That's yeah. wild to think <clears throat> about. So a lot of a lot of food for thought. Yeah. Also one quick thing, uh good guy Naram though. Oh yeah. Like what a what a kind hearted softy. Yeah. Uh, all the more reason why Ursula needed to do what he did. Yeah. You know, the honorable thing for this person who sh- spirit who showed him kindness and protected him without knowing him. Cause the great bear asked, you know, were you, was right. he weak? And Ram was like, no, no, no. He's, I mean, looking out for Ursula as a little cub. So, yeah. but anyway, uh, anything else, man? <clears throat> um, we, we definitely hit the highlights that I wanted to hit. I, uh, I'm interested to see these last two episodes of this arc, man, because yeah. you know, like we've been blabbering yeah. about for an hour now, who knows where these things could actually go from here. Yeah. Let us know what you guys thought. I thought this was a truly beautiful episode. I'd love to know y'all's thoughts and theories as to what's going to happen next. Uh, you can let us know in the comments. And also we have a discord. If you want to join the discord? Cause we have, um, we don't we do live chats of, worlds beyond since because of the way it drops but we have a lot of chatter on the latest episode so everybody's welcome if you want to jump in and have that conversation we'd love to have you yeah well until next time i guess my friends yeah we'll catch you guys later see ya